absolutely so here we go man another episode in the books uh got my guy gobby back in the building with me today uh for those that listen to the podcast gobby was on the episode when we had the the goat talk and a lot has changed since we had that conversation gobby uh my guy's got another championship got another championship under his belt uh Kevin Durant is back. He's forming his own suicide squad. So we'll talk about that on on, a, on another note. But today, um, hopefully the goal with this is just to have a open conversation, a conversation that some may find uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, conversations such as the one that we're about to have, it's important. It's needed. And for those that listen to the podcast, I've always mentioned that it's an open mic. If it's anything you want to talk about, feel free to reach out to me and I'm open to whatever it is. So in this particular case, uh, me and Gabby had some conversations and he brought up some topics that I felt like, you know what, that's, that's, that's pretty good. So, so we're going to talk about it. So today, um, just to set the foundation before we just dive into it on um, what everything that's going on with uh, us changing presidents, going from Trump to Biden and the way this country is currently is just to me, in my opinion, is just pure chaos. So God be introduced the topic of racial tension and along with racial tension in America what exactly is white privilege? And for those that listened to the episode that I done with uh, what happened in Washington a couple weeks ago, I did use that term. And I think it was perfect for him to reach out and say that to me because it's like now we can kind of dive in and get a different perspective on it. And then lastly, how do we move forward from this point? So welcome back to the podcast, Gabby, man. What's going on? Not much, man. Not much at all. Definitely good to hear from you, man. Definitely good to hear from you. So I guess before we just dive in, my my opening question to you is, why these topics? Well, I just kind of think they're prevalent topics. When I, when I first reached out to you, I'd asked you a question about abortion. And you said you wanted to talk about that on the podcast a little bit. And the more I got to thinking about it, you know, there's just so much more going on than just one issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate that, man. So it's like, like you said, and that's the part that I kind of left out. And we'll definitely touch on that either in, in this episode or we'll save it for another episode. And your direct question was, are you pro-life or pro-choice? And that in its own self is a, a touchy subject, especially here in the United yes. States. Very touchy. And like he said, you know, that's kind of how we snowballed in, into where we're at today. So for me, the racial tension part of it, and it's like, this is something coming from me. This is something that has always been around. But now that I'm older it's almost like, okay, it's it's staring in my face. I see it. I see what people have always said. But now it's like, okay, how do I tackle it personally in my own personal experiences and things like that? So 
before I dive in and give my perspective, where do you feel this country is at in regards to racial tension, whether it's black and white or Hispanic and this and that? Like, I honestly feel like the tension is a, is a all the way across the board. And I'm not going to solely blame it on Donald Trump, but it's like ever since this whole build the wall and do this and do that, it's like it's been such a focus on illegal immigrants and this and that. And it's just like the problem has always been there, but I don't think it was like shoved in front of our face as much. Well, let's clear one thing up with Donald Trump. He didn't have a problem with illegal immigrants. He had a problem with illegal Mexicans. And the difference is you can spot an illegal Mexican because they have a different skin color. There if you, you go. see if you see an illegal German walking down the street, how the hell are you gonna know? You're right. You're right. I didn't even think about it that way. And that goes back to even some of those travel bans and stuff that he was trying to enforce early mm-hmm. in his term. And if you looked at the places that he was placing bands on, you're right. You're absolutely right. But it's like my my thing is, and me and you, man, we we've been friends since third grade, childhood, elementary school. So it's like us coming from a smaller area, it's like we had no choice but to interact and be around each other, you know, as far as race relations. There was no way that we were going to walk around Clinton, Kentucky or be at Hickman County High School and not encounter, you know what I'm saying, having to deal. Plus, we was on the basketball team and all of that. But it's like here in Louisville, it's like in order for you to mix and mingle with different crowds, you almost have to go to certain schools. There's certain schools here that is like predominantly African-American where you got schools that are predominantly white. And it's like one side of Louisville has a perception of the other side and they can be completely false. You know, a a lot of people have such a a, a negative image of the West end of Louisville, just based off of people sharing stories. Oh my God, such bad things happen over there and this and that. And for the longest period, I was guilty of it myself because I had never been to Louisville, never been for me. I've only heard the stories. So when I moved here, I was terrified and the more I interacted and the more, you know, I saw things and it's like, okay, this is an illusion. But some people that won't take that opportunity to come over here to mix and mingle and get a feel for it, they'll never know that. So they'll just live with that fear and that doubt in their minds. And I think that's the issue with the entire country. It's like, you're not willing to Take yourself out of your own shoes for a minute to understand why certain things happen in certain neighborhoods versus what TV and the radio and sometimes your your elders. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes we paint fear into our children without them ever even experiencing what it's about. So it's like, you know, how how do we tackle that? Well. You know, I think it's an interesting conversation, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to bring this topic up, because we talk about racial tension, and we see it in the news. You know, we see protests and things like that. But, like, in my day-to-day life, I don't feel any different, so to speak. Like, if I'm around black people, I'm not uncomfortable. 
Like, I don't feel like there's tension in the air, so to speak. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I feel like it's everyday life. And maybe it's just Paducah. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, I work with black people. I, I interact with black people all the time. And it, there's no tension. So how does it feel from the other end? Because I don't walk in your shoes. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And that's a, that's a great question because, like I just said, growing up, we all had to interact. And the older that I get, I do feel the tension. I do feel like it's there. And the best example that I can use is social media. Because once I, I'm really not sure how I want to word it, but it's like once I just sat back and started reading, you know, I, I scroll through different people's posts and stuff that pops up on my timeline. And with this whole Trump thing, and it's like, you know, for yourself, like growing up, we've always been around Confederate flag. It's always been the Civil War days. So that stuff never bothered me. It was like, to me, that was just the norm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like we, we, we've always seen Confederate flag. Like, so when I see people talk about doing away with statues and that's our history, that's our heritage, I, that, that never really bothered me because like I said, you know, we, we've always saw that. So well, can I, can I make a comment? Yes, on sir. Down statues and taking away our history. Go ahead. Go for whatever it. Whatever people say. Go for it. The Confederacy is the only thing in the history of the United States of America where we have built a monument to losers. <laughs> You're absolutely well, right. Uh, all jokes about it. You don't get the Presidential Medal of Freedom for winning a bronze medal. You get it if you win gold medals. <laughs> We don't celebrate losing in America. And you know what? I would think Donald Trump could appreciate this stance, too. We're not about losers. Take them <laughs> statues down. You're right. They shouldn't be funded by my tax dollars. You don't erase the history. Put it in a museum. That's literally a building created to house history. You're absolutely right. And, and uh, I mean, that's just stupid. Why are we arguing about that? And and that's that's the touchy part of it. And going back, who gives a shit about Jefferson Davis? <laughs> but that and that that's where it's like, for me again, it's like I get it though. Like that's where I have even here in my notes. It's like I feel like this is something that's taught and passed down. Like right now, at this very moment, if I were to take my kids to Chuck E. Cheese or take them to the park, they're going to run around and interact with every kid in the building. Mm -hmm. And every kid in the building is going to interact with them. They don't know anything about race and being prejudiced and this and that. Like none of that even exists in a child's mind. But the older you get, you start seeing different people separate, go hang with this crowd and that crowd. And then before you know it, you become an adult. And then you just see all the different things. So that goes back to what I was getting ready to say in regards to how I feel the tension, because people that I thought I was friends with growing up, you know, we all grew up, be around each other. It's like you read certain things that they post 
And you're like, wait a minute, like it's it's a little bit of racial undertone in your in your statements, in your comments. Now, granted, this is social media. It's a free world. Say what you want to believe what you want to. That's not my place to judge you. But at the same time, it's like, okay, a lot of what you're saying kind of goes against my existence. If you really want to be honest, I mean, if if you just use the NFL thing, like for everybody to blow this Kaepernick thing out of proportion, that to me became a race issue because it's like this man is trying to stand up for what's happening in our country when it comes to the people who are supposed to be paid to serve and protect. But time and time again, we see video evidence of people that look like me, whether they're committing a crime or not. It's not a conversation. It's shoot first, ask the dead body questions later. And after a while, you get tired of seeing that. So I'm I'm proud that he spoke up or put his career on the line to give everybody else a voice, a platform. And for that to be the be all end all and everybody's boo this man and the president calling him an SOB and so many millions of people is, are siding with that. And I'm like, something's wrong with that picture. But yeah, go ahead. To me, like, I think that's another example of a racial double standard. Because, or like people telling LeBron James and Chris Paul and them shut up and dribble. Right. Nobody was saying that to Donald Trump when he was nobody but a celebrity on The Apprentice running around going, oh, the president's not an American. Exactly. What, what was that? That was a celebrity using his platform to make a statement. And I mean, honestly, that statement was a waste of time. Like what? I don't even know what you're, whatever. I, I'm not even going to get into that stupid <laughs> shit. Right, right. And so I said, it, it, it's a lot to unpack it's it. It's the exact same thing, but, you know, one person rallies enough people to become the president, the other person loses his job. Exactly. And, and, and you know what? You hit it on the head because, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, that's what it boils down to. It's like, we're the minority, literally. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's too many people that feel the same way in regards to how things should be conducted in the United States. And what I mean by that is like, look at the the numbers in this past election. 70 plus million people <laughs> voted for that man. And I, I don't mean to keep using him you know, as a talking point, but it's like, Based on all the things that he said, based on all of his rhetoric, 70 million people still like support that. Like that to me is mind blowing. So that's why I was saying, you know, and I know I, I made it long, but it's like I'm sitting back on my social media and I'm looking at people who I know on a personal level. And it's like, you know, the stuff that they're saying, and I'm just like, oh, wow. Like, I ain't, I didn't know you thought that way. You know, growing up, you you didn't come off that way. And it's like, now I got to sit back and second guess it. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, I haven't unfriended anybody or nothing like that because, you know, you're entitled to say what you want to, do what you want to. long as it's not directed at me, 
I'm okay with that. I'll read it, get a chuckle out of it and keep moving. But it's like, okay, if you're willing to say that publicly on a public forum, then what do you say privately? And I feel like that that's where the tension comes in at for me, because it's like we all know what we can and can't say in a room with certain individuals. I can't go to work and just start hauling off F-bombs and do this and do that. But when I get off of work and I'm in my car, I'm like, man, I had a horrible day. Such and such is this and such and such is that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the same rules apply. And that's how you got 70 plus million people that are supportive of, of this man, because it's like, how many of them are, are hidden? You would never know. You would never think that such and such is a, a follower of, of Donald Trump. And no, I'm not saying all people who follow Donald Trump are, are bad people, but it's like for the president of the United States, at least I thought, in my opinion, you had to hold yourself to a certain standard. You had to carry yourself in a certain manner. And if you don't, then you're not very presidential. Yeah, the word you're looking for is dignity. Exactly. So it's like, you know, we we knew who he was from the jump. And even with all the, the video evidence, the audio recordings, hell, even him just trying to say, you know what, I need these X amount of votes to show up in Georgia. Like, that's a con artist to me. Like, you're you're trying to manipulate situations in your favor. That's not very American, so to speak. Like you're trying to rig an election that you claim to be rigged. And it's like still 70 plus million people have no problem with that. But it's just I don't I don't know. But going back to the the racial side. And like you said, it is a double standard. And I'm saying to you how it all ties in is because if I turn on the news and see an African-American was shot by the police and then I go on social media and I read the comment section. And I guess that's my own fault for putting myself in that environment to get worked up, to get angry. But it's like, how else would you know the, the temperature of the room without getting a feel for the room? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I feel like sometimes social media does represent the rest of the country. Because it's like you you read the comments and it's like, well, they should have listened to the officer or they should have done this and that wouldn't have happened. But then on the flip side, you see mass shootings, you see, you know what I'm saying? And it's like they walked out in handcuffs. How is that possible? Like somebody that is actually murdering somebody walked out in handcuffs, but somebody who you thought had a gun is being laid to rest. Right. Yeah, but when you try to, I mean, look, that's a delicate balance. I I've got a lot of respect for law enforcement officers. I've got law enforcement officers in my family, and I mean they're good people. the The reality is, there's bad apples in the police department, and the police department is not a department that can have bad apples. Absolutely. So. And I mean, we kind of talk about that a little bit like one of the movements that you hear about is defund the police, which is 
in my mind, incredibly stupid. What are you going to do if you defund the police? Get the watchman? You know, I mean... <laughs> but, no, but, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Defund the police. What we need to do is refund the police. Part of the problem is, you know, how much does it pay to be a law enforcement officer? Are you getting the best people for the job? And and that's what it boils back down to. And I'm going I'm to insert a small respectfully disagree and this is i guess opinion based anyway but it's like when you hear the term defund the police i feel like a lot of people take it in a literal sense it's not necessarily meaning take away money from the police departments or shorthand police officers it's in a sense where it's like okay i'm i'm, I'm going to use louisville as an example and I spoke about the West End earlier and I talked about how this perception of the West End, like this myth of as soon as you enter the West End of Louisville, lock your doors, roll your windows up like you better not be caught after dark doing this or doing that. That strikes fear into a lot of people, regardless of your color, that you have this misconception in your mind. So you bring in law enforcement who may not be familiar with this area mm-hmm. and the tension is already there. Like you have this misconception in your mind. So anytime you get called to the scene of something going on in this area, you're already trying to, you know, brace yourself. You're ready to react. So when I hear the term defund the police and some of the, the content behind it, it's like, Take some of that money and put it into more training, put it into more things or take some of that funding and create programs to where the neighborhood can kind of help police their own or build a personal relationship with the officers that control that area. You can't just keep sending random people to police an area. That's kind of what I mean with refund the police. Yeah, I tell you what, one of my. Best TV show I've ever seen. The Wire. Have you ever watched The Wire? I have. I was a late bloomer, but I have. Yeah, I was late to it too, but it's an awesome show. It's like season four when all the kids are in school when McNulty's walking the beat. Okay. You remember that? Yeah. McNulty's on the beat for a while, and he gets to know the community. And then there was the same thing in like whatever season it was where they legalized drugs in that one part of town. You know, and they'd have community meetings and the community would tell them, no, we actually know our police officers now. Right. So, I mean, I think police to an extent have become militarized and we've got away from community policing. I agree. The, uh, 100%. The sheriff of McCracken County actually came down here to my neighborhood. To My neighborhood has a barbecue every year and he came down here to campaign. And I was talking to him, and I asked him, I said, you know, how, how do you deal with this kind of stuff, people not trusting police? And he said, I think the solution is to get police out there more. He said, when's the last time you saw a police officer and just went up and talked to him? And I said, I haven't. And yeah, he said, why not? And I just, I mean, I kind of sat there for a minute, and in my mind, I think, well, because he's a cop, duh. But... <laughs> Like, at the same time, he's got a valid point. 
why aren't we familiar with our police officers in our community? Which, I mean, that's a failure on both sides. Absolutely. That's a failure on the police officers and the community because we're not involving ourselves, too. Right. Right. And I, I may be out of pocket for what I'm about to say. And I'm just going to say it. It's like it's such a, a negative picture with police nowadays. It's very rare that people of color are like, I want to grow up to be a police officer. Like my father-in-law, my, 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 my wife's dad was a police officer, chief detective here in Louisville. So the pictures and stuff that they have, my son, like, I'm like, where you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a police officer. I want to do this and do that. Where some people may be like, hell no. You know what I'm saying? Excuse my language, but like, no, you're not going to be no police officer, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, that to me, like you just said, it's like you you have to create that relationship. It can't be as soon as you see a police car, these this rage of emotions immediately comes through. Like he hasn't seen you, nor have you have you seen him, but yet there's already friction. Sure. So that's what I'm saying. It's like that that goes back to what we're talking about in in overall the tension and that to me sweeps across the entire country, this negative image. And like you say, you go back to the protest and you go back to the movements, but you also have to be mindful of every time the outcome is not guilty, no charges. Mm-hmm. That's even more tension. That's even more pressure from my community in terms of no matter what happens, nobody's going to hear us. Nobody's going to see it. That's only going to get amplified because the more I think about it, I really think this guy in Minnesota is not going to get convicted. And, and, and it's sad to even for your mind to even go there. It's like, and that's how numb minorities have become to this entire thing. It's like, okay, we already know how this goes because it's been 15 other situations the exact same and that's where i feel like again it's like if i'm sitting back and i'm scrolling through my facebook timeline and all i keep seeing from people that i know is well they should have listened to the police officer's orders they should have done this it's like you're basically justifying what happened without even giving the other person the vic the real victim the benefit of the doubt you automatically picked a side and I'm saying to myself, like, dang, like, what if that would have been me? You're basically saying that, well, even though Adrian grew up, we all knew him. He seemed like a nice guy in school, regardless of how he was on the basketball court. He should have listened to the officer. If he would have listened to the officer, he wouldn't have got shot. But since he got shot, oh, well. And it's like, damn, like you, you're, you're really not who I thought you were. And it's like, damn, now do I, do I consider you a friend or should this be a situation where it's like, okay, I'm not going to disrespect you because those are your thoughts. Those are your feelings. But now my antennas are up. So I know that when I come around you, I need to be mindful of who I'm around now because you're not the same person who I thought you were. So that's why I'm saying that the the tension, that's where it comes from. Well, see, and I think that's interesting 
because, and I mean, granted, I think it's fair to say I see things from a different perspective. And I'm not naive enough to think if I'm at a table full of white people, they're not going to talk differently than if there was a black person at the table. Right. I, I mean, that's the reality of the world. Right. So, but I don't think most people think they're, I, I don't want to say racist, but racially insensitive. Because I think there's a difference between being legitimately racist and being racially insensitive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I don't go on a terror of, Oh, I don't like how you said that. I'm going to delete you or I'll never talk to you again. That's what I'm saying. Like you, you have to understand the, the, the thin line of it all, or look at Drew Brees and what he had to go through at the beginning of the season. That was a situation where he was just insensitive to what was going on at that time. Yeah. As much as Drew Brees has done for the city of New Orleans, whether it's donating money or putting food together and helping build uh, after hurricanes and this and that, Drew Brees should have gotten a pass, you know, for, for people to immediately try to throw Drew Brees under the bus. Again, that's that's where that, that tension is there. Like, everybody's just ready to just snap. And we'll talk about it here later on. It's like, how do you move on from that? How do you build that bond and put it back together? Because right now, in my opinion, it's broken. Across this entire country, it's broken. And it's just like, what? go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I think you're right. And I mean, a big reason is because people don't want to have these conversations. I mean, what I say to you before we started the podcast, don't let me look like an out-of-touch fool. Don't <laughs> let me come across like an idiot. You know, I, I, I mean, I don't want to be insensitive to anybody. But at the same time, I can't sit here and promise I'm not ever going to accidentally do it unknowingly. Right. You know, I say things that are insensitive to my wife, and I don't mean to do it. <laughs> we all do. I mean, everybody does. I don't we all mean do. to do it, and it's not that I want to hurt her. It's just I don't realize how that affects her. Right. Right. And, and that's and, what and it boils down a to. A lot of people run into that because... You know, another reality with a lot of the people you see on Facebook, we're in Western Kentucky. <laughs> okay, we, the black community here, look at Hitman County. It's basically segregated by Highway 51. Those are facts. I mean, yes, we all went to school together, and yes, we all got along. But how many kids crossed 51 and went down and played down at the park or went down and played football when you busted your head open? <laughs> I still got that scar. I, I should have got stitches. I'm mad at my uh, at my parents because I should have got stitches. But but you're absolutely right, and that's why you know what I'm saying when I when I have conversations like this, I try to keep it personal to where it's like see see it from my experience. So for for those that are not familiar with what he's talking about, I've said it a million times. We're from a small little town and highway 51 runs smack down through the middle of it and on one side you have the black community and then on the other side is technically the white community and very seldomly do those lines do do people cross that line and it's like 
why. And that's where that whole it's taught comes in at. Because it's like you yourself, you've come down to the park. You've played ball with us. You know, I don't I don't name drop on here, but all the people that we grew up with on the basketball team and stuff like that, they came down and played with us. Surely to God, at no point in time did you ever feel in danger, feel threatened. Nothing happened. No, felt safe the whole time. But it's like, for whatever reason, if you go home and like, hey, I went down and to the park in the bottoms and I did this and done that, I don't even want to know what that conversation is going to be in different homes. It may not have been in your home, but other homes is like, don't let me catch you go down there no more. Don't go down there no more. So for us in Clinton being a small area, imagine here in Louisville, a major city. And when sure. when those lines get crossed, that's where it's like, again, what in the world are you doing going to the West End? Why would you go to the West End of Louisville? Nobody goes there. Hell, I'm black and I was under that impression well before I moved here. Like, don't go over there. <laughs> don't get caught over there. And that's far from the truth, far from the truth. And it's like bad things happen everywhere. If you really want to be honest, bad things happen everywhere. But it's it's this picture that gets painted in the African-American community. And that kind of ties into where I want to go next. And can I talk on that real quick? Go ahead. Go ahead. Feel free. Yeah, because, I mean, you kind of talk about feelings towards race being learned. Before I moved to Clinton in third grade, I lived in Memphis. Well, when I lived in Memphis, we lived in a mixed neighborhood. There were black people. There were white people. There were Hispanic people. Like, my, I, mean, I don't want to get into big thing on my parents. My parents are pretty liberal people. They've always taught me to treat everyone as the same, whether it be black, white, you know, color of skin, sexual orientation. Right. You know, what, whatever. You treat everybody the same. You're not any better than anyone else. You were all born the same. You just look different. That's it. Right. You know, it's how my parents raised me. And, and I mean, even my dad owning the store, he always told me it was important to him to employ black employees because that's part of the community he serves. Okay, absolutely. And, and but you know, but even with that, you would think that that would be universal across the entire globe. You would think that. But yeah, she yeah she would think that would be common sense and not a principle. But regardless, I mean, bear in mind this was the early nineties, and you know, I I mean. We've made people walk out of the store before because they didn't want a black people to cook their pizza. And I believe it. And I you believe know, it. And, that, and that's in the 2000s. I believe so, it. You know, I mean, we've had to tell people to leave for that reason. Oh, I don't want that person to cook my pizza. We'll get the hell out. I believe it. And and, and, that, and that's what I'm saying. That's, that's the scary part because... You you know who y'all had to throw out, but I don't. So it's like when I interact or or have to come in contact with certain people, you don't know who you're talking to. We all put on a mask in a sense when we're around certain people. 
So it's like, do I do I know if you're being genuine with me when you greet me and you're being polite, you're being mannerable? Hey, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a long time. How's life going? What are you up to these days? Da da da. I'm genuinely trying to carry a conversation with you, but then in the back of my mind, it's like, was that, was it, was it genuine? And again, that that's why I'm, I'm like, you you have to understand how that feels in order to move forward. And I feel like until other people are able to to display empathy, we're never going to get past this because. For us to still be talking about slavery, segregation, all of these negatives, these stains on American history, that's evidence in itself that it's like, in my opinion, again, it's just, we just reteach it. Every generation, we just reteach it. And this is something a lot of people may think is crazy, stupid, but I said something to my pops a while back. Because I said to him, I feel like they shouldn't teach slavery in school. You should have to be at a certain level, like junior, senior, high school, or take it in college. You shouldn't introduce young minds to slavery. And I feel like maybe that will help teach people to grow up and not look at each other differently. Because the more you you learn that a certain group of people belonged to a certain group of people. Now you start getting that privilege or I I think I'm better than you. My ancestors own your ancestors or y'all had to do what my ancestors said. And when I said that to him, it was like, have you lost your damn mind? Like that's history. Like you're supposed to learn where you come from. You're supposed to learn, you know what I'm saying? How we got to where we're at. And I'm saying, I'm not saying not to learn it. But you have to be able to take it in and be mature. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Be able to properly process it. Right. Like, if I wanted to to study fossils, I can't do that in high school or elementary school. I would have to go study that. So if I want to know American history, then go study it. That's a personal preference. Like, don't sit there and keep passing down the idea that a certain group of people were slaves or this group of people came over here and tortured indigenous people like leave that in the in the past well it sounds crazy i know uh, yeah i'm gonna admit you kind of blew my mind with that one a little bit i don't want to shoot it down right away (laughs) go ahead with the i respectfully disagree then I mean, my my initial thought is, you know, the point of learning history is so you learn what worked and what didn't work, so you repeat successes and avoid failures. That's how, like, if I ever become president and I decide to go to war with Russia, I know not to invade in the winter because it didn't work for Napoleon and it didn't work for Hitler. So I'm going to wait till it's summertime and then I'll go blow them up. But, uh, I mean, I think the problem with the history is not that we teach it. I think it's that we dumb it down too much. That's that's fair. That's fair. You know, I, I, I mean, really, like, if you really sit and think about what we learned about American history in school as it relates to race, 
We learned more or less there was slavery. We treated people bad, but we didn't go into detail about what we did to them. But we knew it was bad. We'll just leave it at that. It's bad. We, we're not going to talk about it. It's like the, the movie The Village, where they lock everything in that damn box. <laughs> you know what I'm talking right, about? Right, right, right. You know, we're just not ever going to talk about it again. So, yeah, we'll just tell you it was bad, and, and that was that. And you can watch Glory and watch Denzel get his ass whipped. And, you know, yeah, that's kind of what it was like. So we learn about that, and then we kind of just completely skip ahead to like, hey, here's Martin Luther King. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying is like, you only touch on this one particular part. And every year, you continuously touch on this one particular part. And as you grow older, I, in my opinion, feels like that starts shaping different people's perspectives. And like I said, I use my kids as an example earlier. Right now, they're innocent. Go play with everybody. Do whatever they want to. But by the time they become teenagers, they start separating. Next thing you know, you're only hanging with people that look like you. Very rare is it that you go interact and mix and mingle with the white crowd or whatever. And then before you know it, you become uh, uh, in college. And now all you do is hang around black people. So you've already segregated yourself or white people only hang with white people. We we create those those groups and you don't even think about it. You're not even mindful of it. Really? Yeah, and I mean, even when you think about it, like I'm sitting here thinking back in high school. Yes, we were all friends. But, you know, after lunch, when everyone walked into the gym. We all went our more, more or less all the black kids were up in the left corner of the bleachers. We all went our separate ways, and that's and that's and that's what I'm saying is like you don't even think about it, but you're 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 we're we're doing it. We're segregating ourselves and you don't even think about it. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right because you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking about everybody we went to high school with. And I mean, these are people that are of high school age, 16, 17, 18 years old have had time to develop real thoughts about stuff. And I don't honestly remember anyone I was friends with having problems with black people. And that's what I'm saying. And now it's like, here I am 36. And like I just said, I'm reading stuff and it's like, now I'd inform this perception, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it's like based on my environment, based on everything that's going on. Now I've already, uh, told myself mentally, like, you know what? I don't need to be around this person no more. I don't need to be around that person no more. So when I say these things, it's like, that's why I feel like you should, you should be introduced to that at a certain age. That's no different than sexual education. Like we didn't have, what was it? Uh, PSI till we were what? Eighth grade, <laughs> eighth grade. And for whatever reason, they thought that was the most, the earliest age that that, that you would think that the that you're all right. They should be aware of sexual interaction. Mm. But again, you, I, I again, it sounds crazy. Like I don't even know how to word it. But it's like I honestly feel like if we didn't teach it, there's a generation of kids that wouldn't grow up to think 
the way the previous generation thought. Well, I think it works both ways, though. Because there's a lot of kids sitting in that classroom hearing about slavery thinking to themselves, holy shit, my friend Adrian would have been a slave? That's messed up and wrong. There's a lot of kids that sit in class and think that. But let me ask you this. Here, here, goes, the, here goes the pushback to it. So if you thought that as a child or a young teen, then when you become an adult, then you would think that you would push back on racism in the workplace, racism when it comes to police brutality. By now, you would think that we we always shared that universal thought of everybody needs to be treated the same across the board. Whether you're a, a politician, whether you're whatever, if you do something wrong, you should be held accountable. But time after time, we're shown that your skin plays a part in the consequences. If you're of a darker hue, you're going to be penalized for your actions. Whereas if you're lighter, there's a slap on the wrist or we're not going to give you the same punishment. I mean, hell, look at the 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 Chad Wheeler situation that just happened this week. You know, for yourself, you keep up with sports. When that situation happened with Ray Rice, they plastered that video every day, nonstop. You had to see it. I saw it. your post about that, and you know what? I'm going to throw out and I respectfully disagree. Go for it. I don't think that's a fair comparison. Ray Rice is a star running back like two years removed from winning the Super Bowl. Chad Wheeler's a backup tackle. But should I'm but should it me, matter? You name me two backup tackles in the league right now. <laughs> I definitely can't. But that's what I'm saying. Should it matter? Should it matter? And it's, it doesn't have anything to do with his girlfriend, which happens to look African American. I don't know what she is. It didn't. It I doesn't have. What she looks like. It doesn't have anything to do with her color. It's just the fact of. You make one situation the forefront. That's the headline. I pick up a newspaper. That's the headline. As soon as they got a hold of the video in the elevator, they they blasted it everywhere. This happened Sunday night or Monday. It's Friday and it's just now making that cycle. We're trying to yeah, well, we're trying to point that out. Uh, see, I think that has more to do with prominence than it has to do with color. If Baker Mayfield beat the shit out of his girlfriend, it'd be on ESPN. But that's what we're saying. It shouldn't matter your stature. Okay, it's Ezekiel Elliott. Well, but I mean, by the same token, if John Doe, backup offensive guard on the Bengals that's black, beats up his girlfriend, we're probably not going to hear about that either. I don't know. And that's and that's where we'll, we'll just have to agree to disagree. And that's where it all boils. It all comes back full circle because that's what I'm trying to say. It's like we're trying to tell you to step in our shoes just for a moment to understand why we even think or feel that way. But it's like, OK, no, I don't think that it's because of this. But it's like, how else can we get you to understand what we're trying to say? Or I'll use another example. Just real quick, real quick. Okay. You're an animal lover, right? 
You have dogs. You have pets. Coach is recording the podcast with us right now. He's laying on the bed. Perfect. Perfect. So when you hear people get mad at animal cruelty or you torture and do things to animals and it's like everybody's so outraged. You you have a personal like dude, like my dog is my best friend. I look at my dog as a child. Like I have an attachment to a dog or an animal or cat or whatever. But then you turn on the news and you see what happened to Breonna Taylor here in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Kicking the door, no questions asked, no conversation was had, and now she's no longer here. But the conversation is, well, you shouldn't have got mixed in with a boyfriend who may or may not have sold drugs. You shouldn't have got mixed in with this crowd, this and that. Where is that same attachment or emotion that you had for an animal? If you don't share that same compassion for another human being, then something is wrong with that picture. And that's all that's trying to be highlighted. It's like we're trying to give you an example to where hopefully we see eye to eye. But at the same time, it's like it falls on deaf ears. All right. Hold on. I got to clear this up a little bit. Go for it. Way around the block. Go for it. We started talking about Chad Wheeler, <laughs> and we ended with Brianna Taylor. <laughs> okay, so let's separate the two for a second. When I'm talking about Chad Wheeler, I'm talking about that particular instance. The first time I had ever heard his name was when I saw your Facebook post. Right. I had a clue who he was. Right. That's the so, point. But my thing is, I don't know who the backup tackle on the Bengals is either. But whether he's white, black, or otherwise, I get your argument about how it's not equally covered. That's all I was highlighting. I don't care who Chad could have been, uh, whoever. That's what it could have been. Ben Roethlisberger. It's like all and we're you saying. Know what? Is, he's a good example. He's a real good example. Okay, now you're talking. He's a real good example. Because, no, he did not get treated the same with his media coverage. Go for he it. Pass. He yeah, okay. that, 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 that's, that's the whole premise. It's not necessarily... I get, saying. I get what you're saying. I microed it about Chad Wheeler specifically. My bad on that. <laughs> don't want all your listeners to think I don't think what happened to Breonna Taylor was tragic and horrific. Because it absolutely was. So, so again, I, I, it's, it's not to put you on the hot seat or nothing. And, and I'm I'm using the examples to look at the big picture. I'm not focusing on the isolated event of Breonna Taylor or the isolated event of what Chad Wheeler done to his girlfriend. I'm saying, look at the reaction. Look at the outrage for one versus the lack of outrage for the other. That's the only reason why I brought up the animals. Because I know for a fact that if anybody mistreats an animal, it's met with outrage. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that another human being lost their life for no reason whatsoever, but it's not met with the same outrage. 
So I have to scratch my head. It should be. And I'm saying it should be. That's what that's what I'm saying. So it's like when you try to highlight it and point it out and you feel like it falls on deaf ears, then you're just like, you know what? It's hopeless. And that's where that divide, that's where the tension, that's where it all stems from, in my opinion. So great conversation. We'll leave it there. We're going to circle to a question that you proposed to me. You said, how do you define white privilege? Yes, I'm interested to talk about this because this is something I've thought a lot about. And I'm going to open the floor to you before I say anything. The floor is yours. Well, I'm kind of curious what your definition of white privilege is. And, uh, you know, I definitely think that it exists. I just wonder how you put an exact definition on it. Because, like, when you called the people that stormed the Capitol, you said that was white privilege. Yes. That, that in my mind, is not how I define white privilege. That, in my mind, is just a bunch of people that are idiots. So, when I... Like, I don't think they thought I can storm the Capitol because I'm white. I think they thought I can storm the Capitol because I'm a patriot, goddammit. (laughs) But, if you listen to the audio of a lot of that, or you listen to the comments of some of the people that were there, it's like, I pay your taxes. I'm allowed to come in this building. You work for me. So you can't touch me. You can't harm me. So when I hear that. See, but again, I don't think that has anything to do with like them feeling superior because of their skin color. I think that's them just being dumbasses. But, and I I guess that this is where we're going to narrow it down because Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Let me say this. I don't want to say exactly what I do, but I work for a branch. I work for an entity in the government that is not paid for by taxes. But I hear all the time, (laughs) I pay your salary. No. You know what? Just because you pay my salary, you don't get to be an asshole. There's not an asshole tax. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, those people that store in the Capitol... I don't think they thought I can storm this capital because I'm white. I think they're just assholes. So, so here's here's the thing, and here's where my thought process comes when I hear or say the term white privilege. I'm saying that it was a privilege for them to even feel like they could even approach that building to even walk up those steps without any fear of any kind of consequence at all. It's a privilege for them to go in there, not only incriminate themselves by taking pictures and doing this and doing that, but it was met with no force. Mm -hmm. Now we all know, and it's amazing how all of this just kind of went hand in hand. We all know the Breonna Taylor story. And I live here in Louisville. There was a nine o'clock curfew for the entire city. By 9.05, police are out with tear gas, rubber bullets, doing whatever they can possibly do to make people go home, make crowds disperse. Even in the daytime, when a bunch of people come together, here comes the riot police. 
Here comes all of these things. So now, even if you're just a peaceful protester and you're just out here for the cause or you're being out here, now you have to be mindful of, am I going to go to jail? Am I going to get hit with a rubber bullet? Is something going to happen to me? And I'm saying that for those people to go to Capitol Hill and do all of that with no fear whatsoever of anything happening to them, no fear whatsoever of any kind of jail time or any kind of nothing, that's a privilege. That's privilege. That's a fair point. When you explain it like that, it, it makes sense, and that's why I wanted to talk to you about it. Because, I mean, like what I've been trying to do since the term white privilege came out it, it, is kind of understand it and look at how I've used it in my own life. Because the more I think about it, I think to an extent every white person probably uses it whether they mean to or not. I agree wholeheartedly. Yes. You know, whether it's hearing someone make an off-color joke and you don't say anything or, you know, just any different number of things. It, it, you know, any anytime you hear something that you just go, it's kind of fucked. Oh, sorry, can I cuss on your podcast? You say whatever you want to. Feel free. Uh, you know, you go, that's kind of fucked up. But maybe you let it sink for a minute because you don't want to cause any ripples. You know, I I think that's how a lot of people use white privilege. But but it's like, and I'm, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper because you can look at it in all aspects of life, whether it's school, whether it's the workforce, whether it's uh, jail sentences, uh House no uh house loans, car loans, those things exist. And it's mm-hmm. evidence throughout history. There's some more history. If you go back and look, there's different disparities when it comes to certain groups of people for just everyday necessities in life. So if the evidence is there that certain groups of people were treated differently than another group of people. And then if I say to you, like, man, that's a privilege. That's a, no, there's no such thing. I worked hard for this. I earned this. You have the same opportunity to work as hard as I did. And I look at that and I'm like, you really don't understand that. Like, do you really believe that? I understand America is supposed to be the land of opportunity. And at the same time, uh, You get out of life what you put in. Mm -hmm. I believe that. But at the same time, if I'm busting my ass to try to get to what I consider the finer things in life, or if I go to college, graduate college, get married, got a wife, she's a teacher, do this and do that. But then if I sit down at a bank and it's like, look, this is what I'm trying to do. And I'm met with, nah, you don't even qualify for that. But then I look at my counterpart who hasn't done anything anywhere remotely close to what I've done. And they're met with, Oh, sure. Fine. How can I not correlate that to privilege? Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I guess what I'm looking at is, you know, yes, that's privilege. And yes, I understand where you're coming from saying that's bullshit. But at the same time, if I'm the guy trying to get the home loan, it's not really my fault that the lender's giving it to me either. So that's what I'm saying. It's like that's that's the the dog eat dog mentality of America. And that's why I say 
it's never going to change because it don't matter what your skin color is. If I'm, if I'm benefiting from something, then hey, tough shit that you don't. I'm not going to shortchange myself just so you can do whatever. Because now I don't know if you would do the same for me if you were in the same position. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, it all ties in. The, the, the racial tension and all of this, it's all one big snowball, if you ask me. Because, um... I guess... I'm just not following some of your examples, though, because, okay, let me rephrase. I guess this would be more my question. Me and you've been friends since third grade, okay? You go talk to the bank about what you need money-wise. I go talk to the bank about what I need money-wise. Should I not take the money from the bank just because you didn't get it? Like, is that what you want me to do as your friend? No, that's not what I'm saying. And that, and that, and, and that's what I don't understand. So, so what I'm saying to you is the conversation should not be whether or not you should take the money. The conversation is why would the bank look at both of our applications? And then once I go in and sit down, they automatically offer you something different than what they offer me. Why? Yeah, but me and you both agree that's bullshit. But at the same time, I'm asking you, like, in practical, functional life, living my day-to-day life as a, as a white guy in Paducah, Kentucky, when I go to refinance my house and I get a better mortgage rate than you because I'm white, you know, hypothetically, should I just not take it? Should I? Be, well, hold on. You didn't offer that same rate to so-and-so, so I shouldn't take the lower rate? Like, like, that's a serious question because I want to be an ally in the fight for racial justice, but at the same time, I also have to live my life and manage my finances and things like that. So so realistically, how would you like me to handle that? So that's what I'm saying. There, there's not a there's not a simple answer to that question because it's just human nature. I'm not going to shortchange myself for the betterment of others. So that's why I'm saying this issue that we have in America is never going to go anywhere until a you start changing some of these laws that were written in the beginning of, of this country, or you start holding some of these institutions accountable so that if I can prove to you that, Clinton Bank offered you a different rate than me, and I can provide evidence that it's solely based on nothing other than the, our skin tone. Then that bank should face some kind of consequence. So hopefully, the next time I, I don't disagree with you at all on that. So that's what I'm saying. In a picture perfect world, you would think that's how this would all work, but it doesn't. That's the reality of it. So when you hear somebody say, "Man," They're doing that because of the color of my skin or they're doing that because it's privilege. But it's met with, man, slavery happened 400 years ago. No, nobody believes in that. It's like you're not going to have empathy for that person because, like you said, in your mind, it's, well, shit, it's not my fault. It's not my fault that they offered me a, a, a better rate. It's not my fault. So. At the end of the day, it's like you really don't it's not a pity party. You're not asking somebody to feel sorry for you or for you to shortchange yourself at the expense of others. 
if enough people raise the red flag, like, wait a minute, this shit is wrong, then something will get done. My point is, it's not enough people raising the red flag. Yeah, but again, at the same time, just using your example of a mortgage, I don't know what rate you got offered. My thing is, I don't know if my mortgage lender has bad practices or not. Now, if I found out they did, I would no longer let them be my mortgage lender. But, you know, I, I don't know if they offered me something at 2.5 and offered it to a black person at 3. So so that's the thing. That. That's the thing. And you're you're not going to be mindful of that. You're not going to look for that because at the end of the day, you got your rate. It benefits you. It benefits your family. You're going to carry on with your everyday life. So what I'm saying to you is, there are actual circumstances where it's been proven that certain banks give certain people a higher rate because of the color of their skin. So if you can sit down and research this and see that this happens across the board, and if I know that I've sat down and in my mind, I'm like, there's no reason why I shouldn't qualify for whatever, but yet I'm like, okay, they told me I didn't qualify with no real explanation is kind of like, all right, here we go. Same old bullshit. I'll give you another example. I graduate from UK, still have my cornrows, still had braids in my hair. Mm -hmm. I go to an interview for an insurance company, got my tie on, got my resume going, got my, uh, everything together. Interview. He says, your interview was great. Your resume's great. You clean up nice. The only thing is, it's the cornrows. I don't know if I can have you going door to door trying to sell insurance because you might scare some of our clients, some of our customers. He said that to me. I bullshit you not. I literally got up the next day and cut it all off. Went to the barbershop, got my whole entire head cut off. Because I'm saying to myself, I'm getting ready to graduate from UK. I really don't want to move back home. I'm trying everything in my power to just transition into the next phase of life without having to hit the reset button and go back home. Mm -hmm. Go back, set up a follow up. And the first thing out of his mouth was, well, we've already given the position to somebody that was more qualified than you. And I'm saying to myself, like. Is it is it really the case that somebody was more qualified than me or you basically told me why you were not going to offer me the job and I had to go change and alter my physical appearance to try to soothe and stroke the the image that you want to portray for your company. And that's what I'm saying. How many times have you saw in the newspaper here of late different schools that are trying to change the dress codes and change the hairstyles, not across the board for every person in the school. You're a, you're, you're highlighting certain features and certain styles that only pertain to a particular group of people. We should be well beyond that. You know, for yourself, you was on the basketball team with me. What kind of rule is you can't have the hair touch the collar of your shirt? It was only one person that, that that fell under. That, you know what, though? That's an old Hickman County rule. 
And here's another thing. You want to talk about the basketball team rules? Let me defend them real quick. Remember, I think it was our sophomore year when you had really got the cornrows out good. You could get them in patterns and shit. I had the beads. I mean, you had it grown out pretty good. I had beads in it, I know. Yeah. Originally, the rule was you couldn't have long hair. And you couldn't have braids. And I think it was you. Well, I don't call nobody by name on the podcast. It was you and a couple other teammates that had cornrows, went to coach, explained it to him, and he changed the rule. And he let y'all keep them, did he not? Hell, he had no choice. (laughs) Go ahead. I, I mean, I'm just saying. That's an example of someone listening to you, hearing what you have to say, and adjusting a policy for it. But the point is, why would you create a rule to begin with? Like, you're telling someone that they have to form to what you feel is acceptable. Because now if you fast forward, it's all kind of hairstyles out on the basketball court. Some of them, hell, I don't even agree with. Yeah, but at the time, you have to think about where we were, where we grew up, and what the status quo was. I guarantee you, I promise you, if you go back, you know what? Next time I'm in Clinton, I might go talk to one of the old coaches. Guarantee you that rule's in there so white kids didn't have long hair. I would almost put money on it. But even, but even in, in white kids' defense. County back in the day, Ash Jr. He'll know. They had afros. Yeah, but it didn't go down to their shoulder. But at that time, if you have an afro, it it literally froed out. It came out. So in order yeah. for me to have braids, you're braiding it back. Hell, it has no. You play a game with your hair permed. I don't want to hear Look, no, no. <laughs> even with that, he was pissed. Yeah, he, was. he was pissed. And the thing was, when I got out of school that day, I was supposed to have gotten my hair braided, but the girl didn't show up. So now what do I do? Because now I'm afraid that I'm not going to get to play. So that's yeah, what I'm saying. It's like, again, that goes back to all of this. And it all comes home full circle in regards to the rules and regulations that are set in place. And people tell us that we should just fall in line. I should just fall in line with the rules that he put in place if I wanted to play basketball. That should never be the case. And that that applies to work. That applies to everything in life. It's like we're... we're, But at the same time, I don't think you can go out and say everything's racially motivated. Like going back to the basketball team, remember you couldn't wear no-show socks either. They had to go above your ankles. What'd that have to do with anybody's skin color? That was just a stupid rule they had. But at the end of the day, those are socks. We're talking about somebody's physical appearance. You can tell me that we can't wear black sneakers. Even though our colors were black and red, we don't wear black sneakers. They make you look slow. My junior year, coach pulled me aside and ripped my ass because I wore Tall black socks and black shoes. I didn't wear the team shoes. He pulled me aside, ripped my ass, and I sat on the bench on JV for like five games. So imagine that. You sat on the bench because of socks and shoes. But then 
I'm threatened to get sit on the bench because how my hair grows out of my damn scalp and how I want to style it or do whatever I want to make my personal self. We all know that. But the thing is, why do you feel the need to create the rule? That's the point. Like, why do you feel that you have to set a barrier for someone so you can feel comfortable? Because that's what it boils down to, again, in my opinion. You know what? Hold on. Hold on. Time out. We got to get off the basketball team. That's too micro. <laughs> No, we got to get we got to get off the rules on the basketball team because we had a lot of dumb rules. You had to keep a C average. No other school does that. Coach Carter done it. Okay, so Coach Carter and Hickman County, the only two schools that care about people's education. (laughs) But again, we we have gotten sidetracked. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, we we kind of got sidetracked on the basketball. There's plenty of laws. There's plenty of restrictions that absolutely disproportionately affect people of color. There's no doubt about that. So that's what we're talking about. That's the that's the privilege. The privilege think, of being able to set problem, rules and regulations. Well, I think the problem on both sides, and me and you just did it, is we get too involved in the micro and not the macro. Like, we get, we get too involved in... Well, this particular thing happened. Like, but it, but if you really research it, and that's I'm I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that when we get off the phone. Actually, look into it. There was a school here in Louisville. It was a school somewhere else. Um, it was like two or three different instances, uh, instances across this country where they were trying to put rules in place to where young black kids couldn't have dreads or they couldn't, the little girls couldn't have the box braids and stuff like that. And they were saying that it's unconstitutional or it was a basketball player. Uh, who was that? They said that, uh, not a basketball player. It was a kid just a year or two ago that the superintendent said that he couldn't walk. He couldn't graduate if he didn't cut his hair. And I'm saying like, dude, like we can't help how our hair grows And the fact that if I want, like my hair right now, I have not had a haircut since Christmas. I have this hat on. I'm disappointed that you've got the cap on because I saw the Sam Burridge post this morning. (laughs) And I really wanted to see Burridge's bag come out. Like, I'm I'm trying to keep it down. Like, seriously. (laughs) Seriously. I'm saying that, like, if I don't groom and treat and do what I need to do, I don't feel comfortable walking out in public with my hair the way it looks right now. So in order for us to feel comfortable or have some kind of sense of uh, self-esteem, we style our hair or we do different things to our hair and we go get it done. And that that's us. That's self-expression. There should not be any rules in play. Like, get off of hair. This is universal. There's no skin issue with tattoos. You see tattoos are more lenient now in the workplace. It's almost almost a norm where 20, 30 years ago that was frowned up on. Yep. So it's like if society can accept tattoos, then why in the hell can't you accept how my hair grows out of my scalp? Well, you know, and I wonder how stuff like that gets fixed. And unfortunately, I wonder if it just 
doesn't just get fixed slowly over time. Because the story you told me about your cornrows going through the insurance agent is not the first time I've heard it. At all. And I'm, I'm, I will take that with me till I, till I leave this earth. Because yeah. I'm saying that that, to me, is like, I didn't want to cut my hair. But I was trying to sacrifice for, you know what, this is something I got to do. If I want to yeah, if I want to better myself, then I just got to do it. So but like with that example, having known that, having known that about you, that happened to you when we were what, 22, 23. Yeah. And you told me about it. Well, I'm in a position now where I hire people as part of my job. And, you know, I've probably hired a few hundred people at this point over the course of my career. And one of the things I've always taken with me when I do job interviews and when I hire new people is not to judge their appearance, specifically because of the story you told me. Then I'm glad to help. I'm glad to help because, excuse and, me. And, and, and I mean, that's always in the back of my mind. If someone comes into an interview with purple hair, that doesn't mean they can't do the job. That just means they have purple hair. That makes no difference to me. Exactly. If someone comes in and they're they're transgender. I don't care if you can do the job. It doesn't matter to me. Exactly. You know? So, and, and that's something I've taken with me from a conversation with you that I employ in my daily life at work is not to judge people by the way they look. They're expressing themselves the way they feel comfortable, and all that really matters is can you do the job. Exactly, and it it it, it all comes back full circle. Like I said before. That's why I say that the conversations need to be had without very much arguing or trying to prove my point to make you say, oh, well, you're right. No, I want you to understand how I feel, why I say what I say. And then I need to tell myself to understand why you feel the way you feel. So if two people can't sit down and have an intellectual conversation, then it's pointless. So that's what I'm saying when it comes to this country as a whole. You have too many sides screaming why their perspective is correct and the other perspective is wrong. So that's going to transition us into the last question that we had, which is how do we move forward? Because I'm not big on politics. I didn't get it. I didn't get this involved until I'm probably going to say within the last two elections because I was just, I looked at both sides as dumbasses. That's just me being honest because you got two stubborn sides that refuse to hear the other one out. I, I may catch some flack for this, but it's like, sometimes I see good points from both sides, sure. but it's like people are so committed to a party to where it don't matter if everything that you're screaming and shouting makes zero sense, you're going to be committed to this party. So until we do away with some of that, every four years, you're just going to go through the same thing. Like I, I, I literally have seen in the last two weeks, people post, I'm talking about word for word, the same exact shit that I posted four years ago when Trump won. Man, this country is doomed. This country's going to hell, man. Pray for our kids. Pray for this and that. And I saw somebody say, man, pray for our kids. Biden's going to ruin this country. We're heading down the path of communism and this. And then I'm like, where the f 
fuck do you even get that from? But it's like, you know what? It's just a, a never-ending cycle. Every four years, you're going to face that. Yeah, and it only gets worse and worse. I've got a news flash for everybody. Biden's a corporate Democrat. We're, we're not going to go to communism or socialism. Just rest easy. Sleep sleep well tonight. <laughs> we'll all be fine. So let me ask you this, though. And this is a, a debate or argument that I've had with a few people in the last couple of weeks. What are your thoughts on this whole $15 minimum wage? Does it help or hurt? I think it's a terrible idea. So let's let's talk about it because it's like a part of me wants to say I don't see how it benefits the country because at the end of the day, greed is always going to win out because I feel like if you make this a requirement, you raise it to $15, you're going to have employers that just walk away. Like I'm not paying nobody $15. So now everybody's out of a job. I'll take whatever I got and you can kiss my ass. But then on the flip side, it's like you have to try to do something to try to balance out the disparity between some of these areas. Like, how do you fix that? Yeah, minimum wage is something I've thought a lot about because, you know, as you know, we own small businesses and, you know, the wage you pay your employees is part of your expenses determines how much money you can make. I mean, that's part of it. Well, the reality is a lot of small business owners, like legitimate small business owners, it's not like they're rolling in cash. They're not making millions of dollars every year. Right. You know, people don't necessarily look at it from that perspective, but when you go to paying everybody $15 an hour, that gets expensive. It gets expensive. And minimum wage should be peer. And what I mean by that is I think there should be a minimum wage for adults that are full-time employees in the workforce. Okay. And then there should be a minimum wage for adults that are part-time employees in the workforce. Then there should be a minimum wage for people that are still claimed as dependents on their parents' taxes in the workforce. Because the reality is if you're 16 years old and you're living at home, you don't need to make $15 an hour. That's fair. That's that's fair. And, and, and you're right. And so, I mean, what, what you run the risk of doing, I think, is one, you price out small businesses from being able to be competitive because their only options are going to be to raise price and cut service, which that may not be a big deal in Louisville, but that's a big deal in Paducah. That's a big deal in Clinton. Absolutely. You know, so, yeah, in a vacuum, you think, yeah, well, so-and-so is going to make $15 an hour. They're going to make more money. But there's a cost to them making $15 an hour. And and that's what my argument was, because I was like, I was arguing with somebody who was like, man, Biden's trying to change everything around. If if he makes it $15 an hour, man, that's going to benefit everybody. This and then I was like, no, because you still got to read the fine print. Because if you raise it to $15 an hour, then the cost of living is going to go up. Something's going to change to balance it all out. Mm-hmm. And I'll use Florida because I was reading where Florida has already passed 
something uh, to where they have until uh, 2027, I think, to where it's $15 an hour. And I think when people hear, oh, they they're going to make minimum wage $15, that's not an instant process. You gradually work yourself to that point to where you're able to offer people $15 an hour. So I think it's a misconception. Joe Biden's going to make it $15. People are like, no, I feel like you're going to gradually get there. So you have time to look at your books, figure out how I'm going to balance this. What do I have to do as a business owner to where not only do I make a profit, but I'm still able to kind of help my employees because that's why I say American greed still is going to be that dark cloud because like I said, you're going to have people that refuse to do that. So they're just going to walk away from the business in general, but then you're going to have people who, okay, well, if I give you $15 an hour, then I'm going to cut it somewhere else. I'm going to find a way to cut you. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, but I think the point I'm trying to make is just because the business owner is cutting because of like a minimum wage increase does not necessarily mean they're greedy. Now, yes, if Jeff Bezos cuts off a bunch of staffing because minimum wage went up to $15 an hour, that's being greedy. But at one point, do you recall when they was having this whole argument about uh, health care and doing this and doing that? It was a lot of companies that were like, we're not going to change our health care uh, policies and this and that. And they let people go. Yep. And we're talking about multi-million dollar companies. So it's like, that's that's the greed that I'm referencing when it's like your workers turn all this profit. And from year to year, you walk away with a nice amount of money, but yet in return, something as simple as a decent healthcare plan, you're like, you know what? No, that that's a deal yeah, breaker. But the flip side to that is when you raise the minimum wage, particularly as much as like Biden is proposing you're immediately going to put out all your small businesses and then all those multi-million dollar businesses that laid off people to keep making multi-million dollars are going to be the only ones left and they're just going to make more money. Similar to what just happened with the previous administration. It's like you, you roll out this tax plan with hopes of, okay, we're going to give these CEOs these different tax breaks, which in turn makes them more money but you hope that this money is going to be distributed back down to the bottom. But a lot of places that didn't happen. So it's like well, it never happens. It's never worked. That trickle down economics theory has been around since the 1800s. It used to be called the horse and sparrow theory. And it was essentially if you feed enough oats to the horse, it will shit out enough food for the sparrow to eat. That's trickle-down economics in a nutshell. The rich will shit out enough for us to eat. It doesn't work. It's never worked. Bush tried a big tax cut, and what happened? We went to a recession. So that's the key. And at, at, after this, we'll, we'll slowly start wrapping it up. 
And it, like I said, it, it's 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 a good conversation. And it's like, where do you find the balance? Because you've already tried to make the tax cuts for the people at the top. You just said that the trickle down effect doesn't really help. So now you're trying to do something for the people at the bottom. But we're also saying that, you know what, that's not going to help either. So what do you do? Well, do you want my opinion? Go for it. We, man, we don't have, look, it's a Friday night. Corona's outside. I don't have nothing to do. Go for it. All right. So here's my opinion. You have to find a way to empower the middle class. Elaborate just a little bit. All right. So check this out. If all right, so you've got the upper class. Well, you've got the upper upper class, the the one percent, <laughs> and then you've got the upper class, and then you've got like the upper middle class, lower middle class, lower class, and you know homeless. Right. So if you find a way for the middle class to be able to invest and create their own business the labor they will be looking for will be out of the lower class because they'll need cheaper labor. That's fair. That's fair. But it's just like... Now, I don't know how you do it because I'm not an economist or anything like that. Look, you took the words out of my mouth. I was like, how? Do, but see, how, how do you get to that point? And that's why I use the word, where do you find that balance? Because it's like, even with this whole stimulus idea, it's like, we don't have a, a, a money printer. Mm-hmm. They can't just hand out money on top of money. They're going to have to get it back some way. So why aren't we thinking about that? Like I was having a conversation with my pops because I was just like, that doesn't excite me because it's like, at what cost? Do you honestly think you can give every American $2,000 free? That's impossible. That's impossible. There's there's, there's going to be some kind of cause and effect. Mm-hmm. So it's like you would you would be naive to think that they're just going to write a blank check, hand it out, and everybody just going about their their merry way. And it's like even with that, that's with hopes that people take this two thousand dollars and use it wisely. The odds of that is very slim. Very slim. Well, actually, the hope is that people won't use it wisely and that they'll just go blow it. And and we we so talked about that, too. We talked about that, too. And it's just like, I don't I get it. I get it. But I don't get it. You're 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 throwing this money back. And like you said, in hopes of go spend it, go spend it because we're going to keep the economy stable. But how long, though? Because we're 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 approaching a year. It's February. Like. I've been working from home since March. It's almost another March. Mm-hmm. Luckily, my wife and I, we've been able to continue to work without any kind of interruption. But it's like for those that have not been able to keep anything going, keep anything steady, it's like $2,000 to some people might just be enough to get them caught up. Yeah, no. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to work through all this too, so I haven't really felt it either, but... I mean, there's a lot of people that are hurting. And that's what I'm saying. It's like. And, and $2,000 might not even be enough to get them called out. At all. Like $2,000 to somebody here in Kentucky is like, oh, man, that's two grand. But you look at New York or California, you're like, Shit. <laughs> that might be one month's expenses. 
Maybe. Which, hey, to dive back into minimum wage, that's why I think it should be regulated by congressional district. That's what I'm saying. It's like, there's no simple answer, of course. There's no simple answer. Because, like you said, small businesses are the ones that are going to be impacted the most. But it's just like, I... Well, I mean, and this is always a question. It's a matter of how much can you legislate someone into doing the right thing. And that that's, you know what? That's perfect. That's perfect. Because I... It's like, you know, you're trying to legislate shitty business owners that take advantage of their employees. But at the same time, you do it at the expense of people that are trying to do right. Yeah. And seeing that, that's where they... They pissed on my my good guy uh, Bernie because he was uh, again. It, it's not as easy as writing out legislation to tax the billionaires, and you know we're going to take money from them. But going back to what you just said, trying to do the right thing, like to know that Bezos walked away with hundreds of millions of dollars in the middle of a pandemic. People that are struggling out here, it's like you don't have an ounce of, you know what, maybe I need to do something to help. But again, that's why I said greed will always be there. And it that's, that's the American way. Capitalism, like it's not my fault. Like you said earlier, it's, it's not my fault that I have a business. Everybody can't get away from like he had an Amazon package come today. So it's like, it's yeah, just, I order shit off Amazon all the time. <laughs> and I mean, I kind of look at it and I'm like, well, what's uncle Jeff supposed to do? Not take my money. <laughs> you know, that's why I, I said, man. And I need it delivered to my door at this point. Cause I'm spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> It's not his fault. You're right. You're right. So here, let, let's let's take it home because, like I said, it was a great conversation. Talked about racial tension, privilege. Now, with us talking about the economy, the United States, it's like the last. I'm gonna go all the way back to Obama. I feel like when Obama was elected, that's when you start seeing the atmosphere change. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read about it or you recall somebody hung a doll of Obama up on UK's campus, had it hanging from a tree, stuff like that. You heard the comments about Michelle Obama. She looks like a gorilla. She looks like it's like all of these things have a racial undertone. So then you get a president in Donald Trump who's feeding this. He's feeding this racial undertone. To where now you got people that have gotten comfortable with where we're at as a country in a sense of now they feel they can say what they want to do what they want to with no consequence. Now that he's out of office and a lot of these people have exposed themselves, can't just put them back under a rock. Mm -hmm. So it's like that also is a concern of how are we going to move forward with a new president? But yet you have exposed so many people 
for how they really and truly feel and think. What do we do? I remember after Obama got elected talking to you and you telling me specifically you didn't think the country was ready for a black president. (laughs) Proof is in a pudding. (laughs) Yeah, and I thought you were kind of crazy at the time. Like, no, he wanted a landslide. But, you know, I mean, you weren't wrong. The proof is in the pudding. Because, you know, I mean, you saw a lot of stuff when Obama got elected that, you know, you saw a division that, that I just think wasn't there before. And I don't know how you can say it had anything to do other than with him being black. Because, I mean, if you just look, if you take Barack Obama out of it, take Democrat or Republican out of it, take black or white out of it, and just look at his story. What he came from to become the president of the United States of America? Are you shitting me? Yeah. It's movie stuff. Right. Are you kidding me? Right. This guy became president? Barry that rode the bench on the basketball team? <laughs> You're right. And, and I mean, we just, we can't even appreciate that because he's black. So that's I what, mean, that's just insane to me. So, so, so that's what I'm saying. And it's like, again, I, I mean, regardless of whatever side of the aisle you fall on, whether you're liberal, you're conservative or Republican or Democrat, whatever you want to call yourself. I mean, Barack Obama is proof of the American dream. He is proof that you can make something of yourself from nothing. He is proof that hard work pays off. He is proof that you can do anything in America. Like, all of those are undeniable facts. And if you can't see them, that's incredibly stupid. I'm sorry. I, I mean, and I don't like to call people stupid, but if you can't recognize that, you're done. There you go. That's, that's perfect. Like, I don't, like, there's no follow-up to that. That's the part where we do the Obama drop the mic. And, and walk off because it's like you said, it's like you, you have to understand where we're at as a country. Like we're trying to move forward. You, you mentioned transgender and stuff earlier. And it's like, that's where we're at as a country. Like you have to be able to accept everybody regardless of their preference of how they conduct their own personal life. What you do in your household does not impact my household. So as long as we can coexist and get whatever task that we have to do together done, I don't care what you do. But for whatever reason, people just like they they can't understand that. So, yeah, I mean, it's disheartening. We talk about moving on, but we also have to face reality that more people voted for Donald Trump than ever voted for Barack Obama. And that's the scary part. That's the scary part. You say it's scary, but at the same time, and, you know, to kind of bring race back into it, this is unfair to the black community, but at the same time, you've got that many people saying, I feel this way. You have to listen to them, too. So what, so, and I know you don't know, at least I hope you don't know, but it's like, what, what could they possibly say that could make any bit of sense in terms of he ran a campaign on make America great again. So that's what got everybody fired up. Like we're going to make America great again, but it's like, 
at what point in time was America actually great for everybody? So when when I and that, that's something I bring up to people all the time. What does make it? What does that mean? What talk to you know not just black people? Talk to the housewife in the fifties that got her ass whipped every night by her by her drunk husband that couldn't go anywhere because there weren't any social programs for her to go do anything and just had to live with getting the shit kicked out of her every night. Ask her if America was great in 1952. Exactly. So, so that, that, that's exactly what we're saying. Like for people to be fired up off this campaign slogan, make America great again. You got 70 plus million people ready to, to ride but it's like are you really thinking about what it is that you're screaming out what well you know what it's not even that people take slogans too literally now i, I mean i give you another example take black lives matter do you know how many people i talk to down here that just do not get that i don't even want to know because i i know I know, but I don't want to know your real answer. Like, like they really think, and you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Enlighten me. Maybe I'm wrong, but they really think it means black lives matter more than everyone else. I've always interpreted it to mean black lives matter as much as everyone else. Exactly. And that it goes back to, to what we talked. Hold on. It goes back to what I, I talked about with the dog. The dog went through whatever experiences, and you felt that. Mm-hmm. What happened to that dog mattered to you. Right. Then why in the hell does this not matter to you? And we're talking about a black person. So, quote unquote, black lives matter. If you want to put two at the end of it to make it understandable, then fine. Black lives matter, too. But it's like, like, like I, I kid you not. There's so many people that just think it means Black Lives Matter more. Like, they don't understand it. And refuse to understand it. And that's why it's just like, where do we go? That's the tension. That's the tension. I I mean, that's why I don't get on Twitter. I don't post much on Facebook. Other than to trolling your shit about (laughs) But... You know, I, I, I mean, I think social media is part of the problem because everyone tries to bull down what they say into 140 characters, and sometimes things are more complicated than that. It is. It's a whole lot more complicated. You know, uh, so, but then people say that and they take it literal, and I'm just like, like, I saw someone the other day post something about the minimum wage thing. They're like, if you want more than minimum wage, get more than minimum skills. Well, the person I knew that did that was a union member who was part of a union that struck in 1970 because they had low wages. <laughs> um, <laughs> put some context around what you're doing. You, you're right. You're right. And this is where we'll leave it alone. It's like at the end of the day, the overall solution, in my opinion, and what it all boils down to is just hold all positions accountable from top to bottom. You got a president who, in my opinion, 
incited a riot. Hold him accountable. If you got somebody that's uh, homeless, we we talked about class and this and that. If a homeless man goes in and robs a store, hold him accountable. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that he had to go do that or whatever, but at the same time, that doesn't give you a free pass to go and commit acts of crime because you're homeless. Hold them accountable. If a police officer shoots somebody and it's not justified, it's unwarranted, hold them accountable. So that way you set an example for the next police officer. Okay, before I pull my gun out, shit, uh, this officer just got 15 years for doing what I'm thinking about doing. Like if if you call somebody to just stop for a, a moment and rethink it, you just saved somebody's life, possibly. Well, I'm going to give you the flip side of that. If you cause a cop stop and think just for a moment, you might cost him his life. And that's fair. But but here's where, again, it's a agree to disagree kind of moment there. Because like I said, and I use the example of depending on where you're at, the the tension is already there. So where you may be more lenient in a subdivision when you pull somebody over, oh, this is just a young teenager driving reckless, ran a stop sign. Here, slow it down. Be safe, put your seatbelt on, go home. But if you're in uh, another neighborhood where crime may be a little bit higher or you see a lot of negative activities and this and that, you pull somebody over for still running a stoplight. You walk to the car with your hand on your hip. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, you're right. That that split second may or may not save the officer's life. But it's like if you walk to a car and you're already creating a hostile environment, you don't get to say, well, I feared for my life. You were fearful before you even got out of the car. So at the end of the day, you still have to hold him or her accountable because we know for a fact that there's been circumstances where you're responding to an active shooter. You know somebody's actively shooting, somebody's actively carrying a weapon and you're comfortable enough in that environment to subdue the suspect, but you respond to just a routine traffic stop and it results in you fearing for your life to where you had to use deadly force that doesn't go together. It does. And it doesn't. And really you need to have a police officer to t- on here to talk about this kind of stuff. But like, the, let me give you some flip side to that. If you've got an active shooter with a gun, you know what you're dealing with. If you pull someone over at a traffic stop, whether they're white, black or otherwise, you don't know what's going to happen when you walk up to the car. There was a state trooper down here in this area. He pulled over somebody, went up to the car. They didn't have a license, didn't have insurance. He went back to his car to arrange for them a hotel room so they could come off the road. I guess the person he was with had a license but couldn't drive at the time. Anyway, what ended up happening to that officer is he got shot and killed on the side of the street trying to help somebody out it works both ways so where is the balance and that's what i'm saying in a circumstance like that 
you still hold the person who killed the officer accountable. But in the circumstance where a police officer used deadly force and it was determined that there were no weapons in the car, uh, you didn't have to do that. You still tell them that you're not going to file charges. You're not going to like you still have to be accountable. Nobody's saying throw the officer in prison for the rest of his or her life or nothing like that. But if I continuously see that the verdict comes back, no charges. And this officer who was suspended with pay gets to return back to work as if nothing happened. Then you give every other officer across the country a free pass to keep doing it. And that's what we're saying. Like, we continuously see this. This is not nothing that just happened in 2020, 2019. You can go back decades of of events where nobody's being held accountable for their actions. So we consider and go back and forth all day long like a ping pong match. But but the word is still accountability. It's true. And people do need to be held accountable. But I guess I'm not saying the solution is necessarily cause an officer to pause in the action of his duty. That's why I said earlier, I don't, I think we need to refund the police. We need to make them higher paying jobs. They need to go through extensive psychological testing. I, I, I mean, we, we could talk for a while about ways to reform the police. And, and we can, we can definitely talk about that because, Hell, we've already been on there two hours. The reality is, is as much bad stuff as we see, and it's awful, whether it's George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery. I'm not even going to go through it. There's no point to go through all the names. We can do that. You can look them all up. As tragic as all that is, I mean, we still have to recognize that the job of being a police officer is a job where you're putting your life on the line. Absolutely. Every day when you put on your badge and you go out to work, you're putting your life on the line. Absolutely. And scary. So let me ask you I, this. I mean, I don't have to do that, but I would have to think that's scary. And like I said, I've got law enforcement in my family, and when you hear over the police scanner that an officer's been shot, you don't know if it's your brother or your husband or your wife or whatever. That's pretty fucking scary. It is scary, but here's here's the pushback, and that's why I said we can we can ping pong it all night, and there's no easy solution to it. The same fear that you just expressed, if you listen to a scanner and the police officer was shot, can also apply to someone of color who hears that there was a officer involved shooting, and you're like, okay, where was it at? Oh, this was in the West End of Louisville. Da, da, da. So now you're like, let me call and check on my people. Yeah. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. You're 100% right. Which is what I kind of think is ironic about the whole situation is I think a lot of these actions between officers and people of color, they're working from the same emotions. But let me ask you this. And like I said, we'll. I wish we would have talked about it earlier. I don't want to keep going on and on. Because, um, like, if I get pulled over, it doesn't bother me. I, like, I don't care. You know, it's fine. I'll get a ticket or he'll let me go or he'll find out. It's so whatever. If I get pulled over, I'm not nervous. Are you? 
I haven't been pulled over since I was in college. And the reason for that is like, I don't want to be pulled over because you never know what experience you're going to have. So and if you wanted to get pulled over, would you be nervous? No, because I know that the only reason why I could have been pulled over is because I actually done something that was against the law. So in a sense, it's like, again, even as a person of color, you have to hold your own self accountable to where you don't have run-ins with law enforcement. But based on footage, based on situations that we've seen, just a routine traffic stop, those people didn't do anything wrong either, other than you didn't use your blinker, Sandra Bland. But it still resulted in her eventually losing her life. Or the guy who was being honest and said that, I have a gun in the car. Mm-hmm. Little did he know his honesty cost him his life. Mm-hmm. So it's like you see those things and you almost become traumatized. Like, I don't want to be pulled over because you never know how those conversations might go. So what do you do? Put your seatbelt on, drive the speed limit. Don't let her like <laughs> I'm not doing anything that's going to cause me to have a run in with the law. And you would hope that hell everybody does that. But what I was going to say was, and after this, we'll leave it alone. Unless the numbers across the world are false. When you look at the statistics from other countries and how many times police officers have used deadly force versus the United States, that in its own self is alarming. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how can other other places police their people and do it without having to inflict harm? But here we are over here, like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it's, in the eyes of the rest of the world, it's like, shit. The police department as a whole in the United States of America is like loose cannons. Well, see, and I guess that's where I, I kind of respectfully disagree. I don't think the police department as a whole are loose cannons. I just think it's a combination of factors. One, they're heavily unionized. Two, you know, there is some kind of weird brotherhood where you don't want to rat out another person. I, I mean, I think we've seen that time and time again. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a universal code. And even you don't like you said, you don't even have to be a police officer. And that that in and of itself is is a problem because if a good cop doesn't tell on a bad cop, are they really a good cop? Exactly. There's no way to weed them out. So it, it boils back down to the original purpose of the podcast. That's where the tension comes in, because like you said. okay. When a police officer is responding to a call, nowadays they don't go alone or they wait for backup in a routine traffic stop. Every time I see a car pulled over here, it's another car behind them. I'll see all that down here. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you don't respond to anything until backup arrives. So it's like, okay, I hear this on the scanner on my radio or whatever. I see that this officer pulled out a gun, shot, but when I go do the police report, 
I write my report in favor of my brother. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what can you do about that? That's why I think it goes back into getting better people in the police departments. That's I, I mean, ultimately, that's not a sexy answer. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not a sexy answer, but ultimately, you just have to hire better people. You're right. Or, or my last solution, and I know it. Like it's it's so borderline because it almost comes off as segregation but it's like you almost need people to police the neighborhoods that they actually grew up in or you're familiar with i can't ask you to go police mayfield kentucky because you're not familiar with all the people in mayfield kentucky so if you want to be a police officer hey want you to police clinton maybe carlisle you know, you that's close proximity. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't have you go police a neighborhood and you're not familiar with the citizens of the neighborhood. Yeah, I agree, which is, again, where I get into the idea of refunding the police. Not only should you pay them more, but there should be more of them. I, I know I know that seems crazy with what we've been talking about to think the solution might be more police. But, you know, just use George Floyd as an example. If there was a cop that regularly patrolled the neighborhood he was in, you know, let's just say they had three different cops on eight-hour shifts. They worked five days a week running this same neighborhood. Well, then when there's an incident and you go to respond to it, it's not, you know, this big giant man that's out of control that you don't know what to do with. It's George. Right. I see what you're saying. And and I think a lot of times when I talk to people that are more conservative or more on opposite sides of the aisle than me in terms of race relations and things like that, when they hear personalized stories, when it's someone they know, it's different. Always. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. You know, like if I go talk to someone we went to high school with, I'm like, oh, did you hear Adrian got pulled over and got his ass whipped by the cops? <laughs> They'd be like, Adrian? No, not a, no, that's a problem with the police because I know Adrian. Right. You know, so I think if you get more police in communities where they know the community, then it's not, you know, a six foot five black male potentially under the influence trying to pass a forged $20 bill. It's George. Right. I get it. I get it. And I'm going to leave it with this and we'll close it out. Even listening to you say that and say we're responding to somebody trying to pass fake $20 bill. Does that still warrant Absolutely not. And that's the problem. That's not what happened to him. That's, Absolutely That's not. the problem. Like, that's the issue. It's just like, nobody's saying not to respect police officers. Nobody's saying that police officers are not important and that their lives don't matter. It's just when you're responding to a situation, you know how to distinguish what type of force to use depending on who you're dealing with. So that's the slap in the face. 
again, though, like if you take the George Floyd situation, is the problem that they called the police or how the police responded? It's always going to be responded. it's always going to be how the police responded, because at the end of the day, so, then again, the problem then at that point comes down to the problem is either the training or the officer. Exactly. So accountability. You can only hold the officer accountable for his or her action. But yet you let them walk. And going back to what you said earlier, you don't have the good cop weeding out the bad cop. So now you have this this stain on the entire department and you get this friction from the entire community. And it's like, the whole relationship is tarnished because of the actions of one. And if you just held him or her accountable, you wouldn't have none of this. But now let me, let me give you the flip side of that. Let me give you a little pushback. And I know we're running long here. I'm sorry. No, you're good. I, I, it's, it's great conversation. So the example I gave you, the officer getting shot on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. If that was a black man that shot him, is it then fair for me to hold the black community as all accountable for how one black person acted? Not at all. And that's what I just said. It's a, it's a stain on the entire department because of the action of one individual. And if you really... I'm saying, like, if the action of one black person, that's not a stain on the whole black community to make. I know it's not, and that's why we're saying that that's not a stain on all of police. But at the same time, if no police is going to step up and tell the truth when they know that the other cop was in the wrong or done something wrong, then now you're not talking about just the actions of one. You're talking about the actions of multiple. Yeah, that's fair. So it's like even using the example of a police officer in Baltimore who forgot to turn off his body cam when he planted uh, heroin or crack or whatever it was. He planted drugs on the person and it was recorded. And it's like, how how can I sit at home and see that and not form an opinion? And on the flip side, if I turn on the news and it, oh man, it was a homicide down in the West End, then that perception that I spoke of earlier has been justified. So now you're sending it home and you're like, I'm not going to the West End. So that's what I'm saying. It's, it's a never-ending cycle. But maybe one day, one day we'll find a solution. Well, that's why we got to keep having tough conversations where, you know, I mean, people express how they feel because, and that's the biggest problem. You know, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that said, I wish I had a black friend to ask about that. And that that's that's that goes back to what I said earlier. There may have been a point in time where you did have a black friend or somebody that you could reach out to, but the older we get, we naturally separate ourselves. Well, that and it's uncomfortable. But that's I but mean, that's what I'm saying. Like me and you can reach out to each other. You know, I may go weeks or a few months without hearing from you, but I know that if it's something I really want to talk about, I can reach out to you. Yeah. So if you're in a situation where you don't have a person of color that you can reach out to, then that's the issue. Yeah. 
<sighs> Good conversation, man. This is two hours, two hours plus. So if anybody is still listening, I definitely appreciate you. Um, give me some feedback. I definitely want feedback. I, like I said, um, before with the podcast, it was just something that I just wanted to do because I was tired of going on Facebook live, rambling and going off. And it was just, Hey, whatever, let's do a podcast. But now it's like, I'm, I'm actually going to try to push it. I'm going to push it, have different conversations. Uh, I'm going to do a video podcast and we'll see where it goes. So Gabby, I appreciate you jumping on here. Um, I definitely want to have that other conversation that we originally talked about and hopefully come back anytime you want. Hopefully we can get some other people involved that may have different opinions than us. So we can have that healthy conversation that that we literally just spoke of. So that'll work. Appreciate you, man. No competition. I mean, she coasting. Yeah. I feel so high.